Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and insiders on stage, on screen, and around the world. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to Robin de Jesus. The actor is someone New York theatergoers have known for many years now, particularly after his breakout turn as Sonny in the original production of In the Heights. That performance earned him a Tony nomination, and since then, he's been nominated for Tonys for La Caja Folle, and, most recently, for his performance as Emery in the starry 2018 revival of The Boys in the Band. He reprised that role in Netflix's film version of Boys, and this season he's back on Netflix and in the Film Awards conversation for Tick, Tick, Boom, the movie adaptation of the Jonathan Larson musical, directed by In the Heights and Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda. Now De Jesus is in the virtual studio with me to talk reuniting with Miranda, honoring his ancestors, and living through the setbacks that kept him humble. Hey, Robin. Thanks for being here with me. Hey, what up, Gordon? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I wondered if first we could talk a little bit about your journey to where you are today. I feel like you're someone who a regular New York theater goers like me, like we know you from the roles you play, but we don't know as much about you, uh, Robin, as we might. And so I wonder if we could just start off talking a little bit about how you came to uh, theater and performing. Yeah. Theater came to me uh, in high school, the summer between my eighth grade and, and freshman year. I always wanted to be a singer, wasn't very talented. Middle school ha- came and I puberty came and suddenly I knew how to match pitch. And so that I was like, all right, I guess I know, I guess I know how to sing now. And I love the attention that it got me. And so I joined the church choir, the school choir. And my eighth grade year, we did a 15 minute skit version of Grease. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I was basically, basically Kanicki. One five, a 15 minute, you said. A 15 minute yeah. version. Yeah, <laughs> okay, it's a quick one. Chopped up. Yeah. Like, that was it. 15 <laughs> minutes get, there's not enough time for anything else. Yeah. And Noel Senna, who did shows with me, and he, he would do shows in a, a local community theater that also gave classes. Yeah. We knew of another community theater in the town next door. And this is in Connecticut? You were, you're from Connecticut, yeah? I was born and raised, I was born and raised in this sort of, uh, I was in. I was born and raised in Fairfield County, which is a pretty bougie county in Fair, in Connecticut. Yeah. My specific town was also a factory town, so there's there's a portion of it that was bougie, and there's a portion of it that was 
uh, working, super duper working class and a lot of black and brown folks as well. My high school was 40, was uh, 53% majority. So it was a minority majority high school, which you mm -hmm. wouldn't expect. And, and, and it was also, it had a pretty decent arts program. So by the, by the time my, uh, freshman year came around, Noel, Noel Senna said, yo, do you want to audition for this, for this production of Grease? And I went to this community theater audition. I got in the ensemble and I loved it. I loved it so much that the bullies didn't bother me because I was like, I don't care who you bullies are in this rehearsal because I'm living my life. And I clocked the power in that. I clocked how good that felt. And hmm. the addiction began. Okay. Yeah. And so, and what you you actually just, my next question was going to be what you sort of got out of like what, what performing and what theater gave you that you didn't have before, but it sounds like you, that's what it, it was, was, is the it was multiple things. It, it, yeah. it was attention. It was something to be good. It was something I was finally good at. It was something I felt passionate about. It was mm. something that, that when I was learning about it, I it didn't feel like learning. Mm. I just was like ravenous. I'd go to the library and I'd pull out, I think you were allowed to pull out a max of 12 CDs and I'd get 12 cast recordings and read the synopsis and then reread it while listening to the score. And if I could get a hold of a script, I'd read that. I was just like, I geeked out, I devoted myself to it. And the thing about my family structure was that my parents came to the U.S., to the mainland, because they're from Puerto Rico, and that is the U.S. Right. Uh, but, you know, Puerto Rico being a colony, you're you're oftentimes very limited on, on what you can do there economically. And so my parents came stateside, and their goal always was to build a house in Puerto Rico and to return. And the thing about acting was it was the first thing that com competed with my love of Puerto Rico, because my whole childhood, it was all about the, the family, we bought this house in Connecticut, but we were going to sell it and build a house from scratch in PR and everyone was going to just be happy there for the rest of our lives. Yeah. But when theater happened, it was like, mm, I can't do this there. Yeah. It was yeah. the first thing. That, yeah. And you, I, the, your first film was Camp, uh, which came out in 2003, but that was pretty early in your, like, how did you start, go from the community theater that you were talking about into uh, professional acting? Yeah, so you know, I did a bunch of shows in high school. I would do, I would, I would, I was crazy. My poor parents just driving me to all those rehearsals because I would be in church choir, school choir, school musical, and then the community theater. I would sometimes do two shows at once, and and just like bouncing around everywhere, learning music all the time. But I, I mean, I was, I was living, living, and the theater school that I went to in high school, the teacher who ran it in the summer would do a, would run a summer camp in Greenwich, Connecticut. And we had a parent of a student there who was the standby on Broadway and Aida for all the, the older white men in the show, mm. Neil Benari <laughs> and Bernie Telsey, the casting director, oh. also the casting director of Tick, Tick, Boom, by the way. Yeah. Love you, Bernie. <laughs> Bernie said, Neil, don't you have a daughter who who sings? And he was like, yeah. And listen, I'm trying to cast this independent film called Camp. We need kids that are non-union because now the movie's going to be non-union because of the budget. And Neil said, no, 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 I'm not throwing my daughter into the deep end. He goes, but, but I'll... I'll submit the breakdown to her summer camp and see if any of the students there want to go. I was a counselor. The woman who ran it said, go audition for this film. And a week and a half later, it was like, it was like American Idol. And that was the first year of American Idol, actually. 
<laughs> but like, so you know how you, you clock those cattle calls in, yeah. in the blinds? Yeah. Or I said blinds, wow, the voice. <laughs> I'm just confusing all the singing shows. <laughs> but you get the point, you know, it, yeah. was, it was like a massive cattle call with like hundreds and hundreds of folks and you just go in real quick, sing 16 bars. And, and, and that was crazy. By the end of the week and a half, I ended up booking one of the leads. Mm, and, and so I suddenly went from thinking I was going to be an opera singer to being an actor in a film. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did that lead? Because a couple of years later, then you made your Broadway debut in Rent. Yeah. As playing um, in the in the ensemble. Is that what it was? In the ensemble when I covered, I was the understudy for Angel. For Angel. Yeah. It was it was rough and it was humbling that those periods in between those years in between it was like three years because I was 17 when I booked camp mm. and I thought I was going to pop off. I thought universe, yeah. you saved me because my my elders told me not to study musical theater and study classical voice. And so I thought I was going to do that. And then you throw me this film that's about musical theater. So like I'm about to be like the Foxy Brown of musical theater. I'm about to pop off. That's what I thought. <laughs> and go to Sundance and everyone loves the film and like people are giving me cards and I'm like, yo, it's, this is it. And crickets, mm -hmm. crickets, waited tables at the Bubba Gum Shrimp Company at this place called Bertucci's in Connecticut, auditioned all as much as possible, you know, figured out how to audition because I didn't really know. And then this weird thing happened where I saw Carolina change mm. and I thought it was so brilliant and so beautiful and, and just that it mattered so much. And I knew that a lot of what I had been focusing on was like, was fluffy material. Mm. And I, and there was something about that show that just tethered me and said, now you want to create art. You want to do what they're doing. Go back to school and study this. Mm. I didn't get to go back to school PS. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but here's what did happen. I moved back to Connecticut. I thought I was going to leave the business after three years of auditioning. I was tired of being broke. And my only credits were camp. I had done readings. That was it. Camp was my only credit. So my friend calls me one day and says, yo, you need to audition for this musical. I just saw a reading of called In the Heights. This guy named Lim Manuel Miranda wrote it. No one knows him. He listed off the cast you need to be in this show. And so I just kept an ear out mm. for it. I'm in Connecticut, waiting tables. And one day I noticed on the union website that they're having auditions for a reading of it. So I call up my agent and say, yo, can we make this happen? Can we figure out how to be in this show? I heard it's great. I'm going to go to college, but I would love like one more thing to do before I go to school and focus myself on, focus on my studies. Mm. And somehow the, like everyone in that show had seen camp and it was my only credit. And they were like, yeah, I just cast them. It's just a reading. It's like low stakes and magic happened when Lynn and I met and I read that script. I knew who that character was yeah. immediately. And we didn't even get to read the script because mm. the script was, they wouldn't allow us to read the script. You had to agree just based off of the creative team right. and the synopsis. And so I went with it and that summer changed my life because I made, so many lifetime friends that have been so good for my mental and creative health, mm. right? But also that <laughs> summer was where I met the producers of In the Heights, who are Jeffrey Sellers and Kevin McCollum. And Joe Furman was there too, because she was producer in the Heights. Yeah. But Jeffrey Sellers and Kevin McCollum are the producers of Rent. They sure are. So that was July. <laughs> November comes around. And I get a phone call to say, do I want to audition for Rent on Broadway as the understudy for Angel? My, my, really my only two credits are camp and in the Heights, the reading yeah. and the musical director of camp was Tim Wilde, the musical director of rent. 
and the producers mm -hmm. of In the Heights or the producers of Rent. Right. So I still had to go in and kick ass and kill the audition, but you know, being a good person, <laughs> yeah, and knowing people really helped me make my debut. Right. Yeah. And then we'll talk a little bit about with your uh, about your journey with uh, you know Lynn from In the Heights into into Tick Tick Boom, and then but more recently on Broadway, you did uh, you did the Boys in the Band first on Broadway, and then uh, for the film, um, was that. Uh, role particularly meaningful for you? Does that, was that a play that meant something to you before you did it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I was in middle school or high school, I remember one day turning on the TV to a random channel. I, it was probably Turner Classic Movies because I, I used to love that. I used to love watching that channel. And I noticed these dudes dancing the heat wave and they seemed kind of gay. And, I, and it felt like a period piece. And I thought, whoa, I didn't know this existed, gay folks in a period piece? Like, was this allowed? And then I thought, change the fucking channel before mom or dad walks in, they catch you watching these homosexuals. Because they're gonna know. And so I changed the fucking channel as fast as I could. And, but I never knew what movie that was. Yeah. And years later, I knew of the production off Broadway. It's an immersive production. Yeah, right. The play, The Boy, yeah, the transport, I think, did it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then, and... I just, I, I put two and two together and I clocked, oh my God, that's that movie, but I never, I never watched it until I did a play years ago at the Labyrinth Theater Company called Homos or Everyone mm -hmm. in America. Right. A Jordan Seavey role, brilliant playwright, fucking brilliant play that needs to be redone. Also, I want to make the movie version so a producer out there wants to make it, hit me up. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but there was a reference to it. Uh, and, and that made me go, oh no, you need to like sit down and really watch this movie. By the end, by the last month of the run of that show, Joe Mantello emailed me and said, yo, you want to do a reading of the boys in the band? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, and and so what what was it like recreating that role for for a film uh, context, like sort of yeah, recalibrating your performance? That's your a whole question before yeah. too, because I didn't answer that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I gave you the setup and not the punch. Yeah. <laughs> do you know? Emery, and it's a lot like Michael too, or it is not like it Michael, is. the role you play in Tick Tick Boom. For Tick Tick Boom, yeah. yes, thank you. Emery in 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 Boys in the Band and and uh, Michael and Tick Tick Boom are in many ways an insertion of my ancestors into a period into periods that have you know deleted them. So much of gay history is is told from a white gay perspective, and it, it, especially with HIV stories as well, and so. When I think about my el my queer elders, I never got to meet them or not many of them because they either died or they weren't preserved in narrative form. And so there's, to me, that I feel so blessed that I get to just go, look, you existed in this time. And that was what was, that's what's really important to me about those two characters. With Emery, what I loved about him was that I got to showcase, I got to trick everyone to thinking, oh, look, this is what Robin always does. The like the over the top effeminate character that for some reason people tend to think is is just fluff and whatever. And then I get to have that moment where I give you like an eight, nine minute monologue. And I had never been given that opportunity. And so I knew that there was potential for that character to, to sucker punch the audience mm -hmm. with, with Michael, 
I knew that I could play the complete opposite of Emery, that I could show someone who was subtle, nuanced, and, and tethered in a completely different way. And, and so that's what, what I was trying to do with those characters. I'll have more with Robin right after the break. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, here's more with Robin DeJesus. And so let's talk specifically now about Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, at this point, you've known Lin-Manuel Miranda for years and years and years. As you mentioned, you have a, had a really strong connection with him ever since in the Heights. Did you audition for Tick, Tick, Boom? Was it? Did you have to go in and, and uh, show what you could do and see what you could do with the role? Yeah, it's, I, it's funny. People always, I, I like letting people know that I auditioned for it because mm. as an actor, there, there is a, there's a difference in how you feel when you book something from an audition as opposed to a direct offer. Like offer only, don't get me wrong, that feels real nice. <laughs> but there is something about like going in auditioning that goes, no, I, I know I deserve this role. And I feel that way, I very much feel that way about Michael. I did have to audition. Lynn wasn't at my initial audition. I just taped myself in the, for the casting director, Christian, who was so sweet to me and like, I, I knew after my first scene, I was like, hmm, I think I'm, I'm doing something. I had something, something's coming through. And then I saw Lynn a week later at the opening night of Freestyle Love Supreme off-Broadway, and he had had a drink in him, and he ran up to me and goes, your fucking audition for Tick, Tick, Boom is so fucking good, you're going to be in this movie. And I, my eyes just, like, went wide, and he said, oh, my, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be as Michael or what, but, like, you're going to be in it in some capacity. And I thought... Oh shit! Oh, oh okay. Like something's happening here because he definitely said more than he should have. Mm. And so I had a, a chemistry read with with Andrew right. Garfield, and even at that moment, I knew that I could book the film that it, that it could realistically happen. But there's a there was a huge part of me that also thought, yo, they're gonna get some singer who wants to act for the first time. Like it's 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 oh. it's it's great opportunity for that. So I'm gonna just do me, and that actually afforded me some relaxation. Mm. And so I auditioned for Lynn with some of the Netflix folks there and Andrew. And I remember Andrew even like improv at one point and I was like, oh, we're doing this? Okay. <laughs> like just got so nervous, but then there was something immediately that said, nah, surrender, like just, just give in. And I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't read Andrew fully, but when I left, he gave me dap. He gave me you know, like, you know, the, like the like high five. Yeah. And then, uh -huh. so, Order, yeah. you know? And it was something about the way he gave me that where I thought, mm, okay. And then like oh, a couple weeks later, 
coincidentally, I was at a wedding in um, White Plains, which mm. is where my character is from in the movie. Yep. Drive half hour away to my hometown. I'm at a diner. And Lynn FaceTimes me to tell me I got the movie. Wow. Yeah. And was Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, Jonathan Larson's work obviously was important to you as your, you know, you made your Broadway oh. debut in Rent. But was Tick, Tick, Boom also important to you? I love Tick, Tick. I, you know what's funny? I didn't, I didn't embrace all the meat that Tick, Tick had. I love that score. I listen to it all the time. I had never seen the show until Lynn did it at Encores right. with Leslie Odom and Karen Olivo. And at that particular time, I was 31, 29 had been rough, turning 30 was like a big deal. So I was only sort of focused on the the, the tick tick <laughs> section yeah. of the film, you know, in my mind, I was just like, fuck, yo, this is, this is like that shit, like just oppression, oppression, oppression. <laughs> but I couldn't find the allegory in that moment. Mm. And it, it wasn't really until doing book work on doing scene work on the film where I just thought, whoa, yo, Jonathan, like I knew in Rent that you were a guru with with like, you know, so much of his work is about being present and not focusing on the past and not put, focusing on the future, which is being here right now. There's only us. There's only this. Forget, regret. Life is yours to miss. But like I hadn't. I don't know why that first time with Lynn, I hadn't clocked fear or love. Hmm. And I that was the overall thing that I really, really, really lean into this time. Yeah, yeah. And what was it like working with Lynn again? Great. So much fun. So much fun and liberating. At times, ego-inducing. At times, you know, nurturing. I say ego-inducing only because, oh, he's my boy. And I, and I knew he was getting an opportunity. I knew this was a big deal for him and it's what he's wanted his whole life. And I also knew that he fought for me to be there. I also knew that there were other folks that would have preferred some big non-theater celebrity to come in and play this part. And I didn't want to be the one that like made him look bad or embarrass him. And so yeah. on, on certain days, if I wasn't aligned properly, it would be very easy for that voice to come in and go, don't embarrass Lynn, yeah. don't. And, and, and if I could pull myself out of it, then great. But if I couldn't, it was a bit more of a dance. But I will say this, Lynn never confirmed or affirmed any of that. If anything, you know, his joyous way of being would remind you like, there's no time. There's no, this is not, a, this is not the place for that kind of thinking. Yeah. Like we're here to play, have fun and work. Yeah. Did you get a um, sense of reuniting with Lynn on a project after the, after a certain number of years, how you had changed as an actor and sort of how your process had changed? Well, yeah, because even for Lynn, like it was a shock. Sonny was such a big character and in the Heights, mm. but he didn't, he'd only seen me do big characters. So when he saw my audition tape, the thing that really got him initially was that I was nuanced and subtle. And and I remember he clocked it one day. He goes, I, I, I was just shocked. I didn't know you could do that. I mean, of course I knew you could do that. And he got all nervous. He's like, I don't mean, I was like, no, it's, it's cool. He goes, but I just, I hadn't seen you be able to do that. And so that was just like, it was like a whole new room opened up. And, mm -hmm. and that's the other cool thing about working with Lynn is like, I know my friend is brilliant. I've seen Hamilton. I've seen, I've worked with him in Heights. I've seen what he's like when he's creating from the ground up. But sometimes, you know, the extraordinary is my ordinary. And so I'll forget, but seeing Lynn as a director made me go, oh my God, my friend is so fucking brilliant. Mm. Like how cool that I get to create with this person and that he's actually like 
someone in my life and that he allows me to bring all of my brilliance in a way that is so comforting and natural and organic and even even being able to speak Spanish across the room. Mm. You know, growing up with this thing of like, use your professional voice. What does professional voice mean? Your professional voice is always in English. Your professional voice is grammatically correct. Your professional voice, you know, doesn't got, you know, whatever the thing is. And to just be able to be like, yo, Link, ¿qué te hace falta? ¿Qué tú necesitas? Okay, yo te ayudo. You know, like, <laughs> and not fear, not, not even question whether we're being judged. Actually, just like give zero fucks and be liberated. That. That level of comfort is what we, of all demographics, should have. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you were filming the majority of this movie during the pandemic. I feel like your Tick, Tick, Boom was one of the first projects, at least that I was aware of, a lot of theater folks, you know, shooting this film and, you know, quarantining and doing all this stuff in order to, to shoot safely. How did that uh, sort of affect the mood on set for you and the experience overall? You know... Dominic, my bestie again, mm. he's the one who gave me the perspective because it's, it's, at first it was shocking that it took this many people to make the movie, mm. you know, to, to make the movie in, in a pandemic, just clocking like all the nurses, all the tests, the three questionnaires a day, the, um, the zones, because you have different different zones on set require different amounts of PPE. And like when you're in the, the, the red zone, the main zone that's for the actors, that's the only place where masks can come down. And in each one of those zones, there's a COVID compliance officer. And so there's just like, you, 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 it's everywhere. Mm. <laughs> but the, the necessities that you now have because of COVID are ever present. But Dominic, like my second day back in rehearsals, said something about, you know, it's a privilege to be working right now. And for whatever reason, I hadn't clocked that. Mm. You know, we were one of the first films to come back and Netflix did have their eye on us because we were the first film to shoot the bulk of their content in a pre-vaccinated pandemic world. Yeah. And, and that meant that all eyes were on us because our success could help determine the success of every other project that came afterwards and who would get a green light. And so there was a responsibility there to get it right. And I think once that math added up for me, it was really beautiful to take in all the COVID compliance officers because I knew those were the people that had our back, that were helping us do this thing, that were helping us tell this story, that were helping us stay working and that whatever was happening between us and those relationships would allow other people to work. Right. Yeah. And create. So it was it was uh, it was it was humbling. It was actually what it was. Yeah. Michael, the character you play in, in Tick, Tick, Boom is uh, someone who gave up acting, was an actor, gave up acting to work in advertising and found fulfillment there. Was there ever a point you talked about at one point wanting to go back to school to study uh, acting and performing? Was there ever a point in your journey when you wanted to throw it all in and go to advertising or whatever the other thing would be? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was younger, I had a couple moments, but I think after the, after the Kajal fall, I, um, I remember I just wasn't getting the kind of work that I wanted. I remember thinking, wow, everything I'm going to go in for is some stereotype of what you think being gay is 
or what you think being Latino is, which is usually meant like selling drugs or some criminal. But then it, it wasn't even the fact that it was a criminal. It was the fact that it was an underwritten criminal. Mm. There was no meat on the bone. There was nothing nuanced or, or like good even. Like there was like, it, yeah, it wasn't complex at all. And and I I've always been someone who's aware that I'm playing the long game. Because even when I was 18 and not working, I remember saying, mm, I don't want to take that job because it's not going to feel right. I rather, if I have to hate something, I rather hate waiting tables than mm. hate what I love. And not that hating, hating anything is a great choice. I don't mean that it was still negative. I was young, yeah. but, but I knew that I had to preserve my love of acting and that I didn't want to put myself in a place where I wasn't creating with the best intentions and or with good intentions or just feeling good about my creativity so that meant i didn't work sometimes and when you have two tony noms sometimes what you get in your head is like nah 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 i'm working at a second at a certain level i want to make sure that everything matches that level and it, and the jobs weren't aligning mm. and i had to move back home to connecticut and i live with my sister i was like i was like yo i'm a two-time tony award nominee living in my sister's house what is going on yeah. Um, and you know, that, that does do a number on your head, but it, but it allowed me some humility and it did give me, um, some perspective and I came back hungrier. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask what kept you going and what, you know, got you back. I have no other talents. <laughs> I got nothing. No, but like dead ass, yo, I have no, I don't know what else I could do. Um, and I will say that while the industry deserves many criticisms and is full of abundant fuckery in regards to people of color and queer folks and, and disabled folks and, and, and so much more, there was a part of what I was experiencing that was, I could point a finger at something that was working against me, but I wasn't acknowledging the three fingers that were pointing back at me and what was wrong with my, my unhealthy perspective at that time. And also being someone who comes from scarcity and the trauma of scarcity and sometimes acting brings up shit, <laughs> brings up that shit. And so that, that was in fact what I was going through. It made me doubt my creativity, but then I worked with Anna Shapiro. I did a play called Domesticated at Lincoln Center with Anna Shapiro directing Jeff Goldblum and Laurie Metcalf starring in it. And I was in once, I was in one hell of a scene. I was mm. giving you Viola Davis in doubt all day. <laughs> all day, just the fiercest scene. And but I got to watch all of them work. Mm. And Anna Shapiro was was no offense to the other directors I worked with, but there was something about the way she spoke mm. that she was the first person that taught me how to do eight shows a week, even though I'd been doing mm. it for years. There was something about the way she broke down a scene. And the way she broke down a scene, I found so stimulating that it got me out of my head. Hmm. That it was less about perfection and more like, oh my God, look at all these fun things I can do with this. She gave me fun again. Hmm. She reminded me that a play is called a play. And I think whenever I remember that, it tethers me, it grounds me, it brings me back to why I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do. Yeah. yeah. And what's next for you? We'll see. Yeah. Last, I was supposed to do something next year that's not happening now. Mm -hmm. Maybe actually. Stage or uh, film? Stage. Stage. Yeah. Stage. 
the, the goal, what I really, really want to do is my best friend Dominic's play, The War I Know. Mm. We're probably going to workshop that next year. Um, that's like a baby. And Dominic writes a lot of stuff and that's in development right now that honestly, if I could work with Dominic the rest of my life, mm-hmm. like I'd be very happy because his stories are all about working class black and brown folks in the Bronx. Um, and he and I come from a very similar background. So it, it feels like home in the best way. It feels like healing, mm. but I'm also on a um, cartoon called uh, Santiago of the Seas on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. And I, I play like a villain on that super fun. Mm, fun. Nikki Lopez wrote it, yeah. Puerto Rican writer from Puerto Rico about this young Puerto Rican pirate and his pet coqui, which is like the animal of Puerto Rico, and they go on their adventures, and that's super fun. Mm. And, and um, you know, waiting on some things. Yeah. How do you think about screen, the because you've done more and more sort of screen work, uh, particularly in the last couple of years, how do you think about theater and film sort of coexisting, or theater and TV and film uh, I coexisting? couldn't <laughs> i don't know why we ever thought they couldn't i feel like we the industry comes up with weird rules like mm. randomly you know like like for example as an actor it's like well do you want to do more film work or tv work why is it an or <laughs> right why is it an and yeah. <laughs> why again i do both why do i have to choose one for me i i i always work character first and I want to go where the character is. And if that's on stage, then that's where I'm going to go. If it's in camera, then that's where I'm going to go. But I, I do think that part of the reason that movie musicals specifically are having such a great moment, and I and I hope it gets to the point where I'm not referring to it as a moment, it just is the norm. Yeah. But I think it's because there's some accumulation. There's the accumulation of Ryan Murphy glee and the fact that all these folks that were kids that now love musicals grew up to be adults who are willing to pay full price for a Broadway ticket. And before the big conversation in theater was, well, what do we do to get a new generation in because the generation paying full price is dying. And so that just changed our age median on Broadway, I feel like. Mm. Then you have the success of Hamilton, and then you have Sarah Bareilles, Cindy Lauper, John Legend, and folks from the pop world coming in and writing musicals and suddenly we're cool again. And I think that that being out in the zeitgeist, you're a smart film producer, you you recognize that there's money to be made. And it's a lot easier when you have, like with Boys in the Band, go do a, a Broadway run, have your film be rehearsed, and then preserve it on film. And it's like this well-marinated thing. Yeah. So I think it's just, it's convenient for everyone and it's good movie making. And when we have this many platforms, why not? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we look forward to seeing more and more of you on stage and on all the screens. Uh, Thank you, Robin. Thanks for chatting with me. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Blessings. That was Robin DeJesus, now appearing in the Netflix films Tick, Tick, Boom and The Boys in the Band. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend about StageCraft. Or give us a shout-out on social media. Find past episodes and subscribe on all the pod places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.